Good morning. Good morning. Greet you in the name of Jesus. Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to do and say all the normal things that a person's supposed to say on a morning like this, but there's a verse that has uh, has got my attention the last few weeks that I'd like to talk about this morning. It's uh, from Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and it's about Jesus um, in the last part of his life before he, uh, for, before the time of his crucifixion, and it says, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The concept there of steadfastly setting his face is, uh, is the, uh, is the Greek word that gives the idea to resolutely turn in a certain direction. It's the opposite of uh, vacillating or unstable or unfixed. And, um, you know, I, I puzzled over that one because when I finally found this verse, uh, which I was struggling to do for some reason, um, I was expecting it to say that, you know, when... Uh, when the time was come for him to, to be offered as a sacrifice or something like that, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. But instead it said that when the time was come for him that he should be received up. Okay, you got it. The concept, though, of uh, the... of. Uh, that I'd like to think about in this passage is uh, it's also found in Proverbs verse four verse twenty Proverbs four verse twenty four it says put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee let thine eyes look right on let thine eyelids look straight before thee ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Now I've focused a great deal on the gospel message in the last while of God's power for salvation, the fact that salvation is a free gift accepted by faith. Um, we've talked about the sufficiency of Christ. Today I would like to look at the intentional, resolute persistence needed to live a fruitful Christian life, and I'd like to look at Jesus' example as he faced the cross, the, faced the cross, and the title of my sermon this, more, this morning is Resolute Persistence. Resolute Persistence. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is our example of this. Jesus knew the goal. And the goal, unlike what I was thinking, was that he was going to be taken back up to the Father. The presence of the Father is where he had always been. It's where he belonged. Now, most of you know the feeling of, of an extended absence uh, and when you have to be away from home and, and um, 
And the anticipation, you have to pray for my mind this morning. It's not my tongue, it's not working, my mind is not working together. I'm not sure what's going on here. But um, the anticipation of, of going back home to family, spouse, what have you, the, uh, and what it feels like, um, or, or those who have lost a, a partner can relate to the concept of finishing well so that um, they can be together in eternity. Now, Jesus had been absent from the Father for almost 33 years. And um, during this time, it was not like one of them was dead. They on, but they only had phone conversations. You know, Jesus went out into the wilderness and he spent time with God and, and God spoke to him and he spoke to God. But it was not the same as being face to face with him in, in, in heaven. It was not where Jesus belonged. Heaven is where he belonged. He had been a willing, he had been willing to be a part of our world, to show us who God is, to pay the penalty for our sins so we can be restored to fellowship with God. The time for him to be reunited with the Father was almost here, but the last major hurdle was just ahead. Jesus knew the goal. Jesus also knew the path. The path involved suffering and death on a cross. Would he be able to return to the Father? Would he have been able if he had failed his mission? Well, I don't know the full answer to that. I, I do recall that Jesus said that uh, all I would have to do is ask and I would have 12, uh, 10 legions of angels would, would come and rescue. Or did he say 12? I forget the number. But I mean, that's a lot of angels. You don't look what one did at his resurrection. Um, so in that respect, perhaps he could have Maybe he could have escaped it. That would have put us in a bad fix, of course. Um, but if he had sinned, if he had actually sinned, I don't think so. I think his place would have been lost. There was a lot at stake, and he knew it. And there's a lot at stake in our lives as well. We just don't often know it. The path to the goal was not easy. And the path to any important goal is never easy. Or rarely, at least. There's conflict. There's pain. There's labor. Jesus' difficulties started long before the cross. There was a conflict with the religious establishment. Uh, and I'm not even mentioning the fact that he grew up as the perfect kid amongst the, a bunch of naughty brothers. You know how that would go uh, on both sides. Neither one would not quite know what to do with that. Um, there was the pain of rejection from his family in his hometown as his ministry began. There was the sleepless nights, the days of healings and toil. The constant travel by foot. Jesus' words were, I, I don't even have a place to lay my head. 
The cross was the last supreme challenge. Not just because of the pain and suffering or the separation from his father, but because of the load of sin he must carry. It's bad enough to carry your own load. I was made to think of a couple songs. The one was, My precious Savior suffered pain and agony. He bore it all that I might live. He broke the bonds of sin and set the captive free. He bore it all that I might live. There was another one that came to my mind. That day when they crucified my Savior, he was willing to pay all the cost. When they drove nails, cruel nails, through his body, they were nailing my sins to his cross. Oh, the shame of it. My sins crucified him that day. My sins were to blame. Forgive, Lord, I pray. I'll live so the world can know I love him for nailing my sins to his cross. Jesus knew the goal. He knew the path. And he set his face toward that goal. He was not distracted. You know, in our world, we're, our world is full of distractions. Um, here's one of them. It's a lifeline, isn't it? It's how you talk to everybody. It's how you know what's going on. It's how you know the weather. It's, it's, it's where you put down your calendars. It's where you take your notes. But it's a distraction. Try to sit down and study with one of those close by. It's interesting. It's a powerful tool, but it's a distraction. But that's, that's not the... Sometimes we think that if we just get rid of that, we've gotten rid of all of our trouble. But it's not true. Because life is full of distractions. Even the good times in life are a distraction. Did you know that? They can be. They often can be a distraction. Life is full of duties. I, I'm thinking of Jesus. One of the situations Jesus ran into, he had, uh, he had been preaching and healing and... and um, that night they went to bed, and, and the next morning the disciples woke up and know Jesus. Well, he had been out half the night praying, and um, they, how they found him, I don't know, since they didn't have, uh, they didn't have Life 360 to track him. Um, but they somehow found him, and, um, and, and they said, Lord, everybody's looking for you. In other words, they were saying, there's stuff to do. Come on, let's get going. There's people to heal. There's, you need to be preaching. Let's get this done. And he says, no. He says, um, I've got to go to the next town. That's what I was here for. That's what I was sent for. Um, Jesus knew how to not be distracted. He knew how to make the things that were important the main thing. He was not distracted. He did not let fear control him. He did not, he was not, did not let what people thought about him control him or the fear of what people would do. 
not even the fear of the cross. And I'm sure that, you know, we, we think of the crucifi a crucifixion as particularly something that happened to Jesus. But crucifixions happened all the time back then. How many had Jesus seen? He had seen the suffering. He had seen the gore. Do you think, it, do you think he was unaffected by how this was going to feel when he was the one that was on the cross? I don't think so. But he did not allow fear to control him. And I'm sure the devil was doing his best to make sure he felt the pain of it before it came. He did not let fear of separation from his father or the feeling of it control him. I don't know how much he knew was coming. And I'm not here to argue about whether God had to turn away his face so he could die or, uh, or turn his face away because of the sin he carried. I'm not here to argue that point. I'm not even sure if I have a position on that point. Um, but... What I am here to say is that the sense of being forsaken and separated from God was real. That is what he felt, whether it was reality or not. There's a lot of the, the theology that I don't, I'm not smart enough to, uh, to put together. But he felt that separation. David felt that separation too. He says, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. I would argue that there was something besides experiencing a physical cross that caused Jesus to sweat great drops of blood. There have been many people before and since who have suffered tremendous things. There have been many people who have been crucified. There have been many people who have, who have had their nails ripped out, who have been almost stretched in two, who have suffered other excruciating pain, I don't know about one person who sweated great drops of blood. And he was not a weakling. What caused him to suffer that intensely? And I would argue it's something besides the cross. I think it had something to do with our sin. And what he had to carry. Now, I want, to, I want to make sure that we're clear. Our sin never made Jesus sinful. He carried our sin, but it did not make him sinful. If he were sinful, how could he go back to heaven? But let's not get distracted. Jesus set his face toward the goal. And he worked with the end in mind. His goal was to restore man to God and to return to the Father victorious. 
And that is what he gave his time and energy to do. That is why he got up before dawn to pray. That is why he was so exhausted that he fell asleep and slept through the storm until his disciples woke him up. But I say it's also why he rebuked the storm. He knew this was an attempt of Satan on his life. And he knew it was not how he was going to die. He knew that the disciples needed to understand his power over nature. Jesus worked with the end in mind. He knew what his goal was. He knew what his calling was. He knew what he was sent here to do. When there is no goal, it is easy to be distracted and allow the external forces of life to control us. Jesus was not distracted from the goal, but he also knew the need for rest. That's why he told the disciples, come apart and rest a while. Most of us feel the need to go apart and rest a while long before we get to where Jesus was. When there is clarity about the end goal, then everything can be evaluated in light of that goal. So what was Jesus' goal? His goal was to get back to the Father unscathed and accomplish his purpose here on earth. And so when he lived his life, he wasn't living his life just for his own enjoyment. He was living his life to accomplish the goal that the Father had set for him. What I would really like to know is how he lived the first 30 years of his life. Because, you know, different parts of life have different stages, don't they? You're not always called. I wasn't called to be up here the first however many years of my life until I got here. With different callings come different responsibilities. With different responsibilities means that you're going to live life in a certain amount of a different way. And... Um, yeah, well, I would really like to know how Jesus lived the first 30 years. I think that would be interesting. I think that would be enlightening. But unfortunately, I guess, well, maybe fortunately, maybe God knew that we just didn't need, that wasn't what we needed. I'm not certain. Maybe somebody can help me figure that one out. But when there's clarity about the end goal, then everything else can be evaluated in the light of that goal. And that's why Jesus didn't stay and preach in one spot, because... <laughs> He knew that he was to preach to all of the cities of Israel. There was one time, though, that there was, seemed to be a conflict in the mind of Jesus, and I found that one fascinating. Um, this Canaanite came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my, my daughter has an evil spirit. Please heal my daughter. And um, Jesus who, who was Jesus called to? Jesus says, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's my calling. This, this lady was not from there. 
So I sense Jesus scratching his head a little bit and he expresses his, his um, it's like this doesn't fit what my calling is. And, uh, and yet I know that Jesus knew that his sacrifice was not just for Israel, but it was for the world. And so, um, you know, think about it though. Jesus lived very close to a lot of other nations around Israel. Israel was not the only part of the world that he could have gotten to. Think of all those other people that were in just as bad a shape as Israel was. Don't you think there was times that he wished to go elsewhere besides only Israel? I suspect his Savior heart wanted to go other places that he knew what his calling was. But he, but what, what, tipped the, what tipped it in her favor is when, when he questioned her and she, she came back with this, this expression of faith. She says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. And, and it's like, Jesus like, wow, what a faith. And, and it was like, he knew this is somebody I have to minister to. No question about um, So you see, Jesus was living in a physical body. He did not have all of the knowledge that he would have had when he was in heaven. Somehow it was limited. There, there are times we look at, at what Jesus knew and we think, wow, you know, Jesus knew everything. Well, no, I don't think Jesus knew everything down here. Somehow he was limited within his body. How much he was limited, I don't know. That's why I believe Jesus spent time with God in prayer. Because it was in prayer that he, he, God was able to give him what he needed. I believe Jesus had to daily go and fill back up with, with his father so that he knew how to handle his next day of ministry. But his clarity about what he was sent for brought other things into perspective. So as Jesus knew what his calling was, what he was here for, that helped him to know how to live his life of ministry. I believe that clarity about what we are here for both in our personal lives and in our church lives, will clarify a lot of things there as well. My question is, what has God called you for? What has God called Mount Hermon for? What is the purpose of this little church right here? What is God's purpose for this little church? Do you know what it is? Persistence has a practical aspect to it. 
We're thinking of resolute persistence. We've seen how Jesus was persistently moving in the direction of the cross because the cross was the next obstacle to him fulfilling his, his calling and to getting back to where he belonged. So how did he know these things? How do we know the goal and the path? And I believe that they, it comes through seeking and finding the mind of God. How do we find the mind of God? We find the mind of God through prayer and through seeking the word of God. There must be both. Jesus had both. He knew the word. That was obvious by how he quoted scripture to Satan. And in other times in his teaching, he spent time in prayer. He departed into a solitary place and there prayed. We see that numerous times in scripture. And um, we talked about how his, his earthly body was limited. And, and that's why he needed to have the knowledge that came through the fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to accomplish the purposes of God for our lives, we need to know the mind and the goals that God has for ourselves and ourselves in light of what the goals that God has for the church and for the world that you live in. There must be a pursuing of the goals of God. Jesus accepted the plan of God in his own life. We need to do the same. His personal goals and his desires were secondary. And so must they be in our own life. Jesus calls us to the same thing. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That is, those things, seek those things first that promote the kingdom. And also those things that embody its values. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. The things that promote the kingdom and the things that promote the values of the kingdom. You know, the world... And religion want to sell us its wares. But it's God's plan that we must seek. It's the kingdom of God that we must seek. Jesus accepted the path to his goal. To God's goal. And so must we. There's a song that says, Off the path to the goal seems so weary and long. Trials almost take away my song. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves too, don't we? The, the path is not always crystal clear. We, we sometimes look at where we are and we say, God, I know that I'm not where I need to be, but I don't know how to get there.
Now, maybe just because you are where God wants you to be now does not mean you are where God wants you to be next year. You don't know God's, you don't always know God's calling for your life next year. You might know what it is right now, and and if you are fulfilling God's calling right now, then you can fulfill God's calling for you next year. But is... uh, it is something that must be pursued. If we're going to pursue the call of God, we must accept the call of God. And we also must accept the path to the goal that God calls us to. That often means that we step outside of our comfort zone. We give up legitimate desires of things that we like. It, it means that we get involved in the pain and the suffering of the world around us. It means doing hard, difficult, and painful things oftentimes. And it often means that we go through difficult and painful training and weeding processes where God is working in our own lives to weed out those things that keep us from being what he calls us to be. Jesus was a good example, as we noted. There was a a prophecy of Jesus that I'd like to read to you yet. From Isaiah 50, verse 6, he says, I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And now listen to his response, for the Lord God will help me. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I shall not be confounded. Therefore, I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. What a, what a challenge that is. Paul had a similar example. He says, not that I have already attained, or am I already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And my question to you is, what has Jesus Christ laid hold upon you for? Why has he grabbed you by the shoulders and said, you're mine? What does he want, what does he want out of you? Paul goes on. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or to God, I'm not there yet. But one thing I do Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize. And what is the prize? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is the call that God has placed on your life. What is God's goal for your life? There is no goal that is greater than the goal that God has placed on your life. It doesn't matter what it is. It really doesn't matter what it is. There's not one goal and one calling that's greater than another. But God's call for you is the greatest call that you can, that you can fulfill. And when you fulfill that goal and that call, you have accomplished what God has given you. You know, sometimes we ask the question, what is the result of that. And sometimes we ask the question, what do I need to give up to accept the call of God? I'd like to read to you the words of Jesus. 
He said to them, Verily I say to you that there is no man that has left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who will not receive manifold more in this present time and the world to come, life everlasting. Sometimes when we live life, when we make choices to follow Jesus, to, to take him seriously and literally and to do what he says. There have been many people, and I don't think we've been exempt from this, who have looked at their life and said, how does this fit that verse? It seems like everything I have is upside down. I've given everything And everything is upside down. But you know, I can't answer that question for you. What I can say is this. Is that God's value system is not always quite the same as ours. I believe Jesus will keep his word. I'm not sure how. I don't know what it's going to look like in your life. I don't know what it's going to look like in my life. But I think it's something that we're either going to stake our lives on or we won't. One of the two. And I think, I think, I know by the authority of the word of God that we can stake our lives on it. We can trust him. We can say, yes, Lord, I'll take your plan. I'll, I'll, do, your, I'll do what you want me to do. It might, you know, I might die doing it, but it'll be okay. Because you've promised. You've promised. And I accept that promise. God bless you. I'll turn the time back to Brother Ellis.